Well, good morning in Counter Church again. It is so good to be with you. Uh, if you and I have not had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, My name is Kyle, and I have the honor to serve as the youth director here, Uh, also part of the Next Gen team, which means I get to hang out with all of our kids and students, and I absolutely love that. Uh, But I also love moments and opportunities that I get to teach and preach on Sunday mornings, and so I'm looking forward to our time together today. In fact, I hope you're ready to hear it like I'm ready to preach it. Uh, Before first worship, I actually had an opportunity to practice uh, this message at home in front of my dogs. And uh, you should have seen them by the end. They had their paws raised. I think one of them even said yes to Jesus. That's a lie. They slept through the entire thing. Can you believe that, the audacity? Anyway, can I show a picture of my dogs? Is that cool? Just in case if you fall asleep, you can at least say you saw a cute photo of some dogs. Can we put that up on the screen? Everybody say, aww. Those are the pups of the McRill household. On the left, that is Cooper. He is my boy. I love him. He is a toy golden doodle. Uh, On the right, that is Muffin. She lives at the house. (laughs) There's a whole story there. We don't have time for that. Um, But (laughs) why do I I show you that picture? Uh, Can you guess... Who of the four people slash dogs that live at my house, can you guess who has the most Instagram followers? Uh, Can we do a little bit of a vote in church? Is that okay? Is that okay if we do that? Okay. Uh, Raise your hand if you think I have the most Instagram followers. No one. All right. Thanks for the love. Appreciate it. Uh, Okay. Raise your hand if you think my wife has the most Instagram followers. You guys are smart. Okay. What about Muffin? Do you think Muffin has Instagram followers? We got, okay, two. I saw two. I'll tell her when I get home. Uh, Okay, who thinks Cooper has the most Instagram followers? You're right. It's Cooper. Can we put his Instagram up there? All right, so this week I checked, and he has 1,805 Instagram followers. Some of you are like, Kyle, why in the world does your dog have an Instagram? To which I would say, that's a fair question. Uh, The answer to that is because Uh, during quarantine, there were some weird things that happened. One of them being Cooper got an Instagram. Now, why do I share that with you? Uh, It's not because I couldn't think of another introduction. And so I'm just like, hey, here's a picture of my dog. I think that could have worked. But uh, I share that with you because under the surface, these things actually matter deeply to us. Uh, We, as a people, we care about how many Instagram followers we have. Uh, We care about who likes our new Facebook profile picture. Uh, We care about who comments on the food that we bring to the cookout. We care about who shows up to our baseball games. We care about who shows up at our dance recital. So no matter who's in the room, whether you are going into high school next year or you're getting ready to retire, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or you're kind of new and you're just checking this thing out, no matter who you are in the room, we all have this desire, this human desire to feel known, valued, and accepted, don't we? Right? We all feel that. And that's not a bad thing. That's a, that's a good thing. I would argue that's how God, our creator, has designed us The only thing is that you and I have to be very careful who or what we allow to share or to speak into those desires or to fill those desires. We've got to be careful what we do there. 
Um, today we continue our I'm Over It series, and we've been looking at how our decisions determine our destiny. Uh, we've been taking a look at how even the smallest choices that we make can have the biggest impact on our lives, right? And so for part one, Pastor Dirk talked about belief over doubt. And then last weekend, Pastor Clarence Stamps from Indwelling Church talked to us about diligence over regret. And so if you missed either of those, I highly encourage you, head to the website, check those out. It's going to be worth every second of your time. This morning, uh, we're going to explore the life-changing decision of purpose over popularity. Somebody say purpose. Here's what I want to spend the next 25 or so minutes convincing you of when it comes to your purpose. Is that you were created on purpose, for a purpose. Seeking popularity will always get in the way. I'll say it again. You were created on purpose, for a purpose. Seeking popularity will always get in the way. If someone hasn't told you this in a while, I want to tell you this morning that you were created on purpose. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter where you come from. Hear me. It pleased the heart of God to create you. I know this is a little bit weird about, but think about this. The moment of your conception, it's almost as if God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were huddled. And they're like, yes, today's the day we finally get to create them. And they rejoiced at the fact that they created you in their image and in their likeness, which means you have more value and worth and purpose than you could ever do dare to imagine possible. But there's this, this little word that always likes to get in the way of your God-intended purpose. It's popularity. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, Kyle, I've never been popular. And to be honest, I really don't want to be popular. Uh, I'm never going to have a blue check mark next to my Instagram name. I'm never going to have crazy YouTube followers. I'm never going to be walking the streets of downtown and people come up to me and ask me for my autograph. I'm never going to be popular. And to be honest, I don't want to be popular. Hear me. I would say the exact same thing. I don't want that. But don't think for a second that the trap of popularity isn't right under our feet. You post a new profile picture on social media and you keep going back to it to see who has liked it or to see who has commented. It's a trap. You give a presentation at work and after the presentation, you go to your coworkers to ask for feedback, but you're not really asking for feedback. You're looking for them to tell you that you did a good job. It's a trap. Hear me. Anytime we go to the crowd instead of our creator, to find value and meaning and worth, we are loosening the levers to the trap of popularity. And it's actually in this way that Satan tries to rob the redemptive plan of God, not once, but multiple times. At the earliest part of God's redemptive story, the people of God find themselves in Egypt because of a widespread famine. And God had made provisions for them in Egypt, and so they stay there a long time. And generation after generation after generation had passed, and there's a new group of God's people, and there's a new Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 
And while they're in Egypt, man, they are multiplying like crazy. And Pharaoh, um, he notices this. And he's like, hey, we need to do something about this. Because if we don't do anything about this, they're going to keep multiplying. And they might be able to overtake us. And so Pharaoh, he decides to force God's people to become his slaves. And he even gives this order to kill all of the newborn Hebrew boys. And so as you can imagine, this this conflict between the Egyptians and the Hebrews, this conflict is intense, right? Now, not everyone who's in Egypt is down with the king's plan, but, but the, it's intense, the relational connect there. And it's in this setting in which we find the birth of one of the most important Old Testament characters, Moses. Moses is born and his parents keep him hidden for three months. And when they can finally keep him hidden no longer, they put him in a basket, place him on the banks of the Nile River, the same river where Pharaoh's daughter goes to bathe. And one day she's down there. She sees the boy in a basket. She knows the boy's a Hebrew. And she knows that her dad has given this order to kill all of the Hebrew boys. But the Bible says that she felt sorry for him. I mean, she finds a a three-month-old in a basket crying, and so she's filled with compassion, and so she takes Moses as her son, which means that Moses' grandpa is King Pharaoh. Now, that's important because Moses, he grows up in royalty, right? He grows up in royalty, every comfort, all the pleasure, all the money, all the resources that one could ever need, all of the status that anyone could have wanted, it was his at the snap of a finger, But there's a problem. Moses knows he's not an Egyptian. He may have grown up like one, but he wasn't one. His people, slaves, forced labor, long hours, little food, little water. There's no PTO here. There's no company matches on retirement. In fact, it's on the backs of Moses' family members that Moses gets to enjoy the riches of Egypt. But have you ever been in a place where you just knew you didn't belong? Like, like you might look the part on the outside, but on the inside, you, you just know you don't belong. There's, there's turmoil, and you can't sleep at night. And this is exactly where Moses finds himself. And he's got a decision to make. Does he choose to identify with the people of Egypt, with the treasures of Egypt, or does he choose to identify with the path of suffering that his people were forced to be on? He's got a decision to make. Let's check this out from Hebrews chapter 11. It says this, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. In this pivotal moment in Moses' life, he makes a decision that he can never go back on. Moses chooses purpose over popularity. But why, right? I mean, he's got royalty. He's got all the pleasures that anyone could ever want. He can eat at the king's table, all of the good food, the fine wine, the fame, the status, popularity. It's all his for the taking. All he has to do is say yes to it. It's all right there. 
But in a moment, Moses chooses purpose over popularity. I would love to have just overheard the conversation of Moses maybe with some friends as he's going about this decision. As he's saying, no, I'm not going to choose to identify with the treasures of Egypt. I'm going to choose the path that I believe God has for me. I imagine the people in that moment were like, Moses, are you crazy? Like, you're going to give up all this to suffer with your people? Man, that's insane. Why are you doing that? You see, following God's plans for your life isn't always going to make sense to the people around you. So why does he do it? Why does he make that decision? I think Moses just has this deep conviction that the riches of Egypt is just not who he is. He's a Hebrew. Pharaoh is not his king. Doesn't matter what the law says. Yahweh is his king. His people, again, they're slaves. And he chooses to identify with them. Now, it appears in scripture that Moses has consciously made this decision to identify with his people, but it's actually a murder that causes Moses to flee for his life. Let's check out the story in Exodus chapter two. It's gonna be up on the screen. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people, again, the author is trying to tell us that he's a, he identifies as a Hebrew, to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, again, one of his own people. That repetition there is important. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Well, now Moses definitely can't cash in his lucky lotto ticket, can he? For the treasures of Egypt. I mean, Pharaoh is trying to kill him. But hear me, it's this drama in Moses' life that actually propels him into the direction of God's plans for his life. Uh, if you've been at church uh, or around church for uh, any length of time, you probably know how the story finishes. Uh, so Moses, he goes in to Midian, and he's there for a while. And while he's in Midian, uh, he encounters God at the burning bush, right? And God says, hey, Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to rescue them. And so that's what Moses does. He marches into Egypt. He confronts Pharaoh. God sends the 10 plagues. Pharaoh's like, I have had enough. Moses, get you and your people up out of here. And so Moses leads a whole nation of Israel to the promise. Slam. Now, I shared that story with you in like three seconds, right? Um, if you haven't heard that story, go back and read it, Exodus chapter 3. It's amazing. But that story, hear me, it is so pivotal to the overarching story of the Bible. Uh, oftentimes in scripture, the authors, uh, they point back to the Exodus and they say, do you want to know what our God is like? Do you want to know who he is, his character? Go back to the story. He is our savior. He is our deliverer. He is our promise keeper. When all hope seems to be lost, when we've been in bondage and slavery for over 400 years, he is the one that comes to our rescue. That's the story. 
And here's what I find interesting. That story finds its origin because one man chose purpose over popularity. Hear me this morning. Your story finds its origin because one man chose purpose over popularity. Uh, Thousands of years ago, there was a boy who grew up in Bethlehem. Uh, He was from Nazareth, and they said nothing nothing really good comes out of Nazareth. But by the time he was 30, Jesus was a household name. I mean, you should have heard the way he taught. Uh, You should have seen the miracles that he did. I mean, he grew in status and popularity. Uh, One time, uh, he was teaching along the water, and he actually had to get in a boat and stand on something tall so that he could see the thousands of people that were gathered. Uh, One time, he was preaching in the city, and, and so many people gathered that the only way you could get to Jesus is if you got on the roof and tore a hole through it. So many people there. And one time, I love this story, um, there was a group of religious leaders. They found a girl who was caught in adultery, and they put her before Jesus' feet, and, and they say, our law says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus says something that causes the religious leaders to drop their stone and walk the other direction. And Jesus even takes a moment to encourage this girl. He was so different. It was so awesome. Actually, one of my favorite stories is, is Jesus, he could perform miracles, and he wouldn't even have to be there, right? One day, this, uh, this lady, she comes to Jesus, and she's like, hey, my daughter has a demon inside of her. Could you please heal her? And Jesus is like, okay, she's good. The woman's like, she, she's what? Like, you, you don't want to come to the crib? Say a prayer, light a candle? I don't know. Like, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but you don't even have to be there? Jesus is like, ma'am, your daughter is okay. Go and see her. He was so famous, and they didn't even have social media. Right? When Jesus walked in the streets of Jerusalem, they were like, this is our king. This is who he is. This is who we've been waiting for. Finally, we have this political leader who can take back what Rome has stolen from us. Finally, he's here. And Jesus says, you are right. I am your king just not the one that you're looking for right now. And in a moment, Jesus chooses purpose over popularity. He chooses the cross. He chooses to be executed by the Romans. But on the third day, the power of God raised him from the dead. And now he sits on his throne and he has defeated sin and death once and for all. If you are a follower of Jesus, your story finds its origin in the fact that one man chose purpose over popularity. And if you're in the room or you're watching online and you haven't made the decision to follow yet, I pray that today might be your day. So uh, here's why I think... Uh, sometimes you and I struggle stepping into the purposes of God. Uh, anyone here struggle with patience? Anyone? At the first worship, my wife was like, put both hands up, Kyle. It's like, all right, it's, I'm guilty. I struggle with patience. I think sometimes we struggle stepping into the purposes of God because oftentimes our time frame is a lot quicker than God's time frame, isn't it? 
Uh, oftentimes, uh, we want to skip through seasons in life in order to get to the purpose, but we miss out on what God is trying to form in us in those seasons. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to the story of Moses. The book of Acts tells us that when Moses left Egypt the first time and went to live in Midian, he was 40 years old. When he returns to Egypt to bring the Israelites out of slavery, he was 80 years old. Now, I may have struggled in trig and pre-calc my junior year in high school, but I know that 80 minus 40 is 40, right? 40 years. Listen, my whole lifetime Plus some, Moses is in Midian, and he's trying to figure out what his purpose is. Maybe you just entered your 30s, and all of your friends are getting married around you, and you're praying at night, God, what about me? Maybe you had your dream job before COVID, but COVID happened, and you were let go, and Since then, you've been bouncing around from job to job to job, and you're praying at night, God, is it ever going to be the way that it was? But can I tell you something this morning? Can I tell you that no season of your life is on accident? Can I tell you that the seasons in your life, the situations in your life that you might think are mundane and insignificant might just actually be the thing that God is going to use the most to propel you to your purpose? He spent 40 years in Midian, 40. What's he doing there? Let's take a look at the text. It says, when Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. And it's in Midian that he meets his wife. And just a few verses later, the author records this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So what's he doing for 40 years? He's tending the flock, right? I don't know much about sheep, but they probably need to be cared for. They need to be fed. They need to be, like, he had to make sure they were healthy. Probably had to break up their fights when they were fighting over a piece of grass. I don't know. Maybe he had to look out into the horizon to make sure he would protect the flock against predators and wolves. And and who is Moses doing all of this next to? His father-in-law, Jethro, right? What's his role? Oh, he's the priest of Midian. What does a priest do? The priest's responsibility was basically the middleman between God and the people. Uh, The priest was responsible for helping the people carry out their sacrifices. Oftentimes, the priest would teach people the ways and teachings of God. And Moses had a front row seat to the life of Jethro. Uh, He even would have sat around the dinner table as Jethro talked about his day at work. Well, Sally came in and had another sin offering. She keeps cussing at the TV because her Detroit Lions keep losing. I wonder if they're ever going to win. Anyway, Moses, can you pass the butter? Like, just make up conversations like that. I pictured something like that could have happened. But all of that sounds a lot like preparation for what he was going to step into, doesn't it? Just as Moses cared for his flock, so he would care for the people of Israel. And just as Moses watched Jethro carry out the priestly responsibilities in Midian, so Moses would carry out the leadership responsibilities of Israel. And I'm sure at some point in those 40 years, that's a long time. 
I'm sure at some point in those 40 years, Moses was like, this is dumb. These sheep are dumb. They smell. Their poop smells. My people are in Egypt. God, I'm turning 80 next year. What in the world are you going to do with my life? But somebody say all of it. All of it was preparation for his purpose. Can you see? See, God knew that if Moses was going to be the leader that he needed him to be, he knew that he had to go into a season where God would form his character, form his leadership, form his perseverance, so that he could be the leader that would help walk the Israelites out of bondage and slavery and lead them into the promised land. God knew that Moses would need this season in his life. Hear me, church, whatever you might be going through, whatever challenges or difficulties or hangups, can I tell you God is at work? God is too intentional for any season of your life to lack purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in Midian for 40 years and we're asking, God, what in the world do you want to do with my life? What do we do when the trap of popularity is drawing us in and we're tempted to find our value and our meaning and our worth in the words of what others say around us? Here's what I want you to do. Ditch popularity and put your purpose in God's hands. Simple, but I think profound. Ditch popularity and put your purpose in God's hands. Here's what I think you'll discover. Is that the potential of your purpose increases beyond measure when you put it in God's hands. Here's what I feel like Jesus was teaching me this week as I prepared. I feel like he was teaching me that the potential of your purpose is determined by whose hands you put it in. Let me illustrate it like this. I'm going to have my friend Mark come up here and help me. Mark, what do we got? We got a basketball. All right, we got a basketball. Uh, You put this basketball in my hands, I might make a few layups, right? I might make a few free throws. I'm definitely better at my right than my left hand. But if you put this same basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan, the GOAT debate solved, uh, he's going to win you not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six NBA championships. Why? Because it's all about whose hands you put it in. What we got next? We got a wrench. Listen, if you hand me this wrench and you say, hey, Kyle, can you fix my car? Brother, I will have your car smoking and broken down in no time, okay? But if you put this same wrench in the hands of a mechanic, he's going to have that old Chevy riding like new, right? Why? Because it's all about whose hands you put it in. What we got next? All right, we got a football. Okay, church, I ain't going to lie. I can throw a decent spiral. Okay, I've I've had a little bit of practice. I might even, in a football game, I might even throw you a few touchdowns. But if you put this same football in the hands of Tom Brady, who's also the GOAT, Go Blue, uh, he's going to win you not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, did I say Go Blue, but seven Super Bowls. Why? Because it's all about whose hands you put it in. What we got next? A Bible. Listen, if you put this Bible in the hands of a freshman seminary student for a sermon opportunity, you are going to leave church and you're going to say, well, at least the music was good. But if you put this same Bible and the same sermon opportunity in the hands of Dirk, he's going to preach the roof off. Why? Because it's all about whose hands you put it in. 
Catch this. The potential of your purpose is determined by whose hands you put it in. If we keep our purpose or we put our purpose in someone else's hands, our potential is going to be right about here. But if you put that same purpose in the hands of God, I'm here to tell you that your potential is way up here. Why? Because he's the kind of God that can take your prayer and heal a dead man. He's the kind of God that can take your mess and make it a masterpiece. He's the kind of God that can take your loaf of bread and feed a village. That's why the potential is so much greater. He's not confined by our human restrictions. He does not have to play by our rules. So might we be the kind of people that say, God, my purpose, my life, I'm going to put it in your hands. God, I'm not going to find my value or my worth or my meaning or my identity in what people say around me. I'm putting it in your hands. Now listen, church, I know that may... That may sound good and all, but there's sacrifice in that, isn't there? For Moses, treasures of Egypt were right there. But he said no to the treasure, and he said yes to identifying with suffering people. But what did God do? He used Moses to bring a whole nation out of bondage and slavery. That's what he did. For Jesus, all of the human kingdoms could have been in the palm of his hand. They shouted, that's our king. Jesus said, I am your king. Just not the one you want right now. And he chose the cross. And God raised him from the dead. And now he is the king and savior that we all needed. What might happen in your life if you chose purpose over popularity? Hmm. I want to share one more thing with you and then we're going to wrap up soon. What happens when we don't get it right? I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I'm probably going to get it wrong more and more. What happens when we don't get it right? What happens when we try to keep our purpose in our hands? Or what happens when we try to find our value, worth, and meaning in the words of others? Or what happens when we try to play the main character in God's story? Uh, A few years ago, when I was graduating business college, I was kind of sensing this call to ministry. I thought that's what God wanted to do with my life, but I wasn't quite sure. And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to try it out. I'm going to test it and see, right? And so I was on campus there and I got connected with the campus ministry and I ended up setting a meeting with one of the leaders there. And I go and I say, hey, I wanna kind of feel calling to ministry, but I'm not quite sure. I wanna lead a small group, kind of test it out. And, and I told the leader, I said, I want to see what I can do. Talk about keeping it in your hands, huh? And I wish the leader that I was in the conversation with, I wish he would have had the courage to lean in and say, Kyle, it's not about you. Never has been, never will be. It's about God. And I'm thankful that in that moment, 
when I said I want to see what I can do, when I made it about me, I'm thankful that my heavenly father didn't say, oh, you blew it, Kyle. Now I got to find a new small group leader. Don't know what I'm going to do. You are, you are my plan. I don't have a plan B. No, that wasn't his heart. That wasn't his attitude. Instead, the goodness and the grace of God leaned into the conversation and said, Kyle, let's try that one again. Let's try it again. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close this morning. I, uh, I wonder who's here this morning or maybe watching online where, man, if you're honest with yourself, you've been keeping your purpose in your hands for a long time. Or if you're honest, for a long time, you have been seeking the approval of others to confirm and speak into your value, your identity, your meaning. And you might say, God, I want to respond to your grace. And today is the end. Today, I'm going to put my purpose in your hands. Today, I am going to find my meaning and my value and my identity in your hands alone. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want this to be just a moment with you and Jesus. If that's you this morning, you would say, Kyle, I want to put my purpose in God's hand. I want to find my value and my identity in his words alone. If that's you this morning on the count of three, would you just simply lift up your hand? I want to know who I can pray with this morning. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, God, my purpose is in your hands. Value and meaning comes from your words and your words alone. Awesome. We've got hands going up in the room. Jesus, I thank you so much that you see that hand raised. And I ask people to raise their hands because I want them to know that you see their hand. You see the motivation of their heart. You see the posture that they have right now. And I pray, Jesus, that as they place their purpose in your hands, you would begin to speak. You would speak life. You would speak transformation. I pray, God, as they find their meaning and their value and their worth in your words alone, that you would confirm again and again and again, you are my child. And I made you in my image, and it pleased my heart to create you. Holy Spirit, from the throne room of God, would you descend right now in Jesus' name. And God, as we continue to respond, we are thankful this morning that you chose purpose over popularity. They chanted your name in the streets but you had a higher calling. You had a higher purpose and you stepped in that and it cost you something, but it was worth it. May we be the people who say, yes, even though it's gonna cost me something, God, I choose your purpose for my life. Jesus, as we respond in faith, may your words wash over us as we rejoice in the truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.